0: Welcome to Generation Mix. This is the podcast where our father and a son review the CDs the dad's been making for the son for six years or so. I'm the dad, I'm Neil. I'm the son, I'm Joel. And today if you picked up on our musical clue which was admittedly quite a difficult one then you will know that we are listening to the music of George Harrison. So George Harrison, one of the four people that made up the Beatles George Harrison had been struggling for some time in getting his compositions their due in amongst the Beatles and he had an absolute battery of songs available when it came to releasing his first proper solo album. We're going to dive straight in with a track from that first solo album and it's from All Things Must Pass, which was a triple album. We shall talk a little bit more about whether or not it really is a little bit later, but the track is called What Is Life.
1: like that
0: one it was pretty groovy it's really good song i think that was the b-side to his first solo single which by the way was a number one hit smash called my sweet lord i have not for anyone who's listening out for it included my sweet lord on this cd because personally i don't like it very much i think what is life kicks off side two of the record and is for me i think it's It's a better song than what was on the A-side by some distance. So let's move to the last album that George released within his lifetime, which was the album Cloud Nine. Something of a comeback album. He took five years away from music focusing on the film production company, Handmade Films, and also Formula One Racing, having grown very disillusioned with the music industry as a whole so he had a comeback in 1987 with the Cloud9 album this I think is one of the really strong tracks from a pretty decent album it's called Devil's Radio
2: it's in your TV set Won't a rest Let's all be trained
1: voice sounded quite different. And the guitar was funky but it was quite few and far between as well.
0: We are talking 17 years between albums. So All Things Must Pass came out in 1970. Cloud Nine was 1987. And bearing in mind he'd not been doing anything really in music for five years, I think his voice had both aged and become affected by lack of use so there is, there is there is a significant difference between the voice in what is life and the voice in devil's radio but it is still the same unmistakably george harrison vocal as for the guitar parts, george harrison in the Beatles was the lead guitarist and my contention is as i think we may have discussed on the eric clapton episode who by the way best mate of george harrison he It's really difficult to play lead guitar at the same time as singing. Is it something you actually liked? I thought it was all right. Good. I think it's good fun. It's a proper 80s pop song. If I've got an issue with it, it's around the production. And that is...
1: I was thinking that.
0: It's Jeff Lynn. Jeff Lynn was the... The person really behind Elo, but he has such a distinctive production style that you, you can you can hear you can hear a Jeff Lynn production generally a mile off.
1: Mr. But, Blue Sky
0: is very unique. But you bring up Mr. Blue Sky. Can you hear the similar production style in Mr. Blue Sky as you can in Devil's Radio? Yeah. Both Jeff Lynn productions. A really good producer. I know we had this debate during the last episode, the Paul Simon and Simon and Garfunkel one. The best producers in the world produce a record by somebody and you don't know that they're the person who produced it. Let's move on and indeed back to All Things Must Pass For the song that was our theme for this one, it is the title track, All Things Must Pass.
1: So, I I thought the production was a bit
0: weird. We will talk a little bit on the production. Like the but, weird... But talk... talk a, that's just... That's yeah. a, but that's, that's a stylistic weird. musical choice. That's not about production. That's something that obviously George Harrison chose to put on the record. I don't think that's anything to do with the producer who we will talk about in a minute. But what do you think okay. of the song? I thought the song was mid. So this song was... I like the motifs that
1: kept coming up.
0: Okay, This song was written and demoed by George Harrison while he was still in The Beatles on the same demo tape as a demo for Something from Abbey Road and Old Brown Shoe, which was the B-side to The Ballad of John and Yoko. He also played a little bit of it in the Let It Be sessions in 1969. So it's sometimes said that this song was rejected by the Beatles. It it wasn't. I don't think he ever brought it back to them. Maybe they were just unenthusiastic when they first heard the little bit of it. But it's an absolute gem of a song. This could have been a Beatles song. And it would have been a great Beatles song. One of the best ever because it's such a great track let's move back to that discussion about the production so the producer of all things must pass was a man called phil Spector. do you remember us talking about phil spectre before no so phil Spector was brought in in early 1970 to make an album out of the aborted get-back sessions, which then became the album Let It Be. And that was for the Beatles. McCartney hated it, still hates it. But the other Beatles got on pretty well with Spectre. And George Harrison had Phil Spectre producing All Things Must Pass. Towards the end of his life, George Harrison was asked about what he thought about All Things Must Pass and the production on it, and his phrase was, too much reverb. There are many who think that Phil Spector is one of music's worst vandals. (laughs) And just 2021, the Harrison Estate issued a, a mega box edition of All Things Must Pass with outtakes, and also remixed the album and pretty much did their best to de the production as much as possible. And the songs, some of them sign so much better on the new version. Others needed the Phil Spector touch. And it's, it's an interesting conundrum. I think I just about prefer the 2021 remix to the original. But it's, it's a great album. It's not the first uh, time we've been to it. It won't be the last. So we will talk about its status as a triple album when we come to the last track that I picked from it later. But now we need to talk about an album that came out just after Cloud Nine. You remember I said Cloud Nine was the last George Harrison album released in his lifetime? Yeah. Well, this was released in his lifetime, but is not a George Harrison album. It is The Travelling Wilburys and from traveling wilburys volume one i have picked end of the line
2: well, it's all- The the waiting for someone to tell you everything. The the line, the line, the Sit around and wonder what tomorrow will bring. The
0: the line, Maybe a dabble. Country. I wouldn't call it country. It sounded country. Right. What did well. you notice vocally?
1: It wasn't the same guy.
0: It was not the same guy. It kept guy. changing. It did keep changing. So the Travelling Wilburys was an accidental supergroup. So there was a track that George Harrison was working on as a B-side for one of their singles from Cloud Nine. And he happened to be in California. And just by people being around, we had Tom Petty from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Bob Dylan, Roy Orbison, and Jeff Lynne, who was obviously the producer of Cloud Nine. And so he was around to produce the single anyway. And they started playing a song. When they took that song, the team that was involved in it, for this George Harrison B-side, George's record company with incredible foresight said, that is far too good to waste on a B-side. So they, they, they went away and said, why did not you have a go at making a full album? And this supergroup of those five people made an album called The Travelling Wilburys Volume 1. They took pseudonyms of a character, each with the surname of Wilbury, and it was a major hit album. I think, not absolutely certain, but I think it may have reached number one at some point in the US. All of this talent involved with it There was no egos involved in the band. They were involved in songwriting. The reason this is on here is because this is most definitely a George Harrison song because of the publishing credit. It's known to be one of his. The saddest part of the whole of the Travelling Wilburys story is that shortly after their debut single came out and the album was released, Roy Orbison died very suddenly. So although there is a second Travelling Wilburys album, Orbison is not on it. It's the other four. And it's called Travelling Wilburys volume three. We're now gonna to come to one of George's end of the lines, which was when he gave up music for five years. He released an album in 1982 called Gontropo. He refused to promote it. He refused to have anything to do with it. He'd really lost interest in the music industry. But there's some undiscovered gems on that. The first one of which is the title track, Got Trumper. But he's
2: sitting in a man, not found, living, no city. He smiles, much in a sunshine, nightlife.
1: okay. Was
0: cool. was kind of boring. Oh, I think Gone Troppo is fun. I first heard that on a compilation I got in 89 called The Best of Dark Horse. He had a record label that released his own material and a few others called Dark Horse. And this was named after his third proper studio album Dark Horse. This was a track on the cassette and CD versions but not on the vinyl but I really like Gontrop. It wasn't a single. Track six is from The Beatles. Now, in 1975, The Best of George Harrison was released, half of which was Beatle tracks and half of which was his solo tracks, and he was really not happy about that because he kind of implied he had not had sufficient solo hits. What I've picked here is The Beatles' performance of a track that remained unreleased by them for... Well, over 20 years, but he recorded in 1979 for the George Harrison album. However, I think the Beatles version that would have been on the White album is better, so I've included the Beatles version of Not Guilty. Not
2: guilty. You're getting in your way while you're trying to steal the day. Not guilty. And I'm not before the rest, and my chance to you best. I am not trying to be small, but I only want what I can get. I'm really sorry for your raging head, but like
1: you heard me said, I'm not guilty. I thought that one was okay. It's kind of boring again.
0: I think that would have fit beautifully on the White Album they apparently did something like 101 or 102 takes of this song it's the song that the Beatles did the most takes of ever and yet they didn't it, use it never came out until it was on the anthologies in the 90s and Harrison himself obviously was scarred by this because that was 1968 that they tried recording it failed to release it it was another 11 years before his version of it came out. And I don't understand why some tracks are on the White Album and this isn't. I still don't get why not. And I don't mean... I, I, I It's even to the point where I don't understand why at least one of George Harrison's tracks on the White Album is on it rather than this. I'm not that fond of Long, 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 although I've grown to be more appreciative of it over the last couple of years. I think Not Guilty is a great Lost Beatles classic for me. And I know we've got the versions of it now, but it just should have been on the White Album. Why this and, and not Revolution 9 getting cut? I don't know, but... Bearing in mind, by the way, that was the Beatles performing it. So that was yeah. Ringo on drums, Lennon on guitar, Harrison on guitar and McCartney on bass. That was a proper full-on Beatles band performance. I thought it still sounded rather good. But then they were yeah. great musicians when they played together. Let's go forward to the final George Harrison album, which was released after his death, called Brainwashed. And the track I have picked from this is Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea.
2: I forget I can't forget you You got me in between A devil and a deep blue sand I wanna cross you off my list But when you come knocking at my door Fate seems to give my heart a twist
1: And I come running back for more so this is the second song so far, and we're only on, what, the sixth... Seventh track. Seventh track. It's still, two out of seven isn't that small, That is about the devil. Right. So is he a Satanist?
0: No. He was a Hare Krishna.
1: What does that mean?
0: He was into Eastern Indian philosophy and meditation. That song, I didn't realise until after I made you this CD, is a cover of a... Um, a show tune. I think it's by Harold Arlen. And I'm glad I included it anyway because it's George playing an instrument that he had a huge love for but never really made it onto his records and it's the ukulele. He was a member of the George Formby Appreciation Society. He was a huge ukulele fan. McCartney in live gigs used to play something by George Harrison on the ukulele and he played it on a ukulele that George himself gave him. And it's a, I'm glad I included uh, Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea because it shows George Harrison's passion and love for that particular somewhat neglected instrument. We're gonna go to All Things Must Pass Again for a song that was written about some people that used to hang around on the steps of number three Savile Row, which was the Apple Music headquarters and they became known as Apple Scrubs.
2: You've been stood around the ears See my smiles and touch my tears How it's been a long, long time And how you've been on by my, my Apple Scrubs Apple Squirts.
1: Harmonica was kind of <laughs> right, uh, and it got a bit like squeaky at some point. The like, harmonica, where well, like not... they didn't really know how to play it particularly well.
0: I don't know that I can think of another George Harrison song with him playing harmonica on. <laughs> so he probably wasn't. But the it most, fits the song think... that that acoustic style. It's a there's somebody who, for me, in that song, he's. Aping, someone who's a very good friend of his and actually co-wrote one of the songs on All Things Must Pass and actually he covers as well on All Things Must Pass. Do you know who I think he sounds like on that? Acoustic guitar and harmonica? McCartney? No. Lennon? No, I mean, he wasn't getting on with McCartney at this point. Bob Dylan. Okay. And they were really good friends uh, Bob Dylan will get mentioned again a little bit later but I think Apple Scruffs is one of the gems of the record All Things Must Pass is such a good album that I could have easily included almost everything from it but I've limited myself on this to just four tracks from it out of the 18 songs on the double LP and nothing from the Apple Jam third disc. I said it's a triple album. The third disc is a load of jam stuff. And even Harrison himself said at the end, it's really a double album with a third bonus. But that bonus is, is not good. But the double album is one of the best double albums in, in musical history. I mentioned the compilation from 1989, The Best of Dark Horse. And I picked a track from it that has only ever been released on that compilation and has never made it onto any other George Harrison release or re-release since 1989. So if you want to get this song, you either have to download it or find a copy of The Best of Dark Horse. It is Poor Little Girl. I really like the track. It's a shame that it's become this lost George Harrison song. I'd like his estate to maybe revisit some of those tracks that have become lost over time. So there's this, there's Cockamamie Business from the same compilation. There's also four tracks that got culled from the Somewhere in England album. And if those could actually get released, I think People like me who like George Harrison music will be delighted. Poor Little Girl, I think it's a really interesting track. You can hear it's Jeff Lynne produced. I think everything from Cloud Nine onwards that he ever did musically had Jeff Lynne's input somewhere on the line. Good song, it's shame it's a lost one. The next track is the lead off single from his second album, Living in the Material World. Number one in the US, top 10 in the UK. It's Give Me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth. Yeah.
2: was just kind of dull I think
0: a little bit dull Why do you think it was dull, Joel? I was I just got completely distracted to be honest No, well, it doesn't happen often, does it? No,
1: as in like I kind of could barely hear what the song was because I was that uninterested
0: It's a bit of a three, four chord cycle song and that's similar to the issue that I've got with My Sweet Lord. And one of the reasons I don't particularly like My Sweet Lord, which, by the way, he was sued over for ripping off a track called He's So Fine by The Chiffons. But whether or not he did is immaterial. He was actually... He lost the case over it. I wish when I made you this compilation, I'd been more familiar with the Living in the Material World album because I would have put Sue Me, Sue You Blues on because that is probably the best track from Living in the Material World for me. 1979, the album that he finally included Not Guilty on was a self-titled record called George Harrison, and the best known track from it um, was a minor hit. In the US and in the UK is this one, it's called Blow Away.
2: They turn black, sky ripped apart, rain free until my heart butts in the leaks, the floorboards closed.
1: That one was fun. I I vaguely recognise that one already.
0: I I think it's a great song, Blow Away. I liked.
1: That's my favourite one so far, to be honest.
0: And I think, despite the fact that it wasn't his biggest hit, when they've done polls of people's favourite George Harrison songs, Blow Away comes out really high and actually I think has won the poll.
1: This is what my favourite one so far. Is it? Yeah.
0: It's a really fine song, Blow Away. Just a shame it wasn't really a hit in the UK. Perhaps the next song will actually steal the title of your favourite so far. It's from the album immediately prior to it, which is called 33 and a Third. And it was supposed to have been released on George Harrison's 33 and a Third birthday in 1976. However, he was ill and it, it got delayed. This track is from 33 and a third. It's Crackerbox Palace. I was so young.
2: Palace, lonely, where you you No one
1: love
0: is true Ah, oh, all right. Oh, so he doesn't take the title of your favourite so far? Actually not. I thought you'd really like Crackerbox Palace. Minor hit single in America, did nothing in the UK. Since making this CD, whilst I would have originally said it was the best track off 33 and a third, I've listened to the album quite a bit. I would actually say the best track now is Beautiful Girl off side one of the record. It's a solid album 33 and a third after he'd had two clunkers in a row. So the Dark Horse album is depressingly bad and Extra Texture is just depressing. He was clearly in a bad state in his life at the time. Both albums are regularly cited as his worst studio albums and 33 and a third he was no longer on Apple he'd moved to WEA and he was a happier man and it's reflected in the fact that 33 and a third is a happier album for our next track we're going to return to the Cloud Nine album and it is the title track Cloud Nine
2: have my love
0: Use it while
2: it does you good. Sure my eyes, but the times that he hurt's pain on mine. It's you don't need your mind.
0: I'll see you there on cloud nine. That one was groovy. It is. It's got a really nice laid-back slide guitar groove and he was a great slide guitarist actually george harrison cloud nine is a good title track it's a good album we're cracking on now because we spent quite a lot talking early on about various bits and pieces about production for a track that comes from the george harrison album from 1979 and it's called love comes to everyone
1: Okay, Don't really have much more to say,
0: to be honest. It's a bit forgettable, actually. I understand why you'd say okay. I like it, and that's how I feel generally about the whole George Harrison album, is I like it. There are a few tracks on it that stand out. I suppose Not Guilty and Blow Away really stand out on the record. There's also a sequel to Here Comes the Sun what do you think Mm. it's called i don't know it's called here comes the moon (laughs) i'm not kidding wow it's a nice song here comes the moon but it's it's effectively a sequel to here comes the sun not the first time he sequelized one of his songs because on the extra texture album there's a sequel to while my guitar gently weeps from the white album which is called this guitar can't keep from crying So he sequelized a couple of his songs over the years, but then McCartney did exactly the same. He had a track on Wildlife called Tomorrow, which was a bit of a sequel to Yesterday. And in fact, uses almost exactly the same chord sequence. Not the same key or feel, but the same chord sequence run. The next track is from a soundtrack for an action movie called Lethal Weapon 2. I heard this on The Best of Dark Horse. It's a co-write with Tom Petty, who you will remember I mentioned his name as one of the travelling Wilburys. It's called Cheer Down.
1: dull as well oh I
0: disagree Cheer Down's a good song I love the slide guitar there were interesting bits yeah the slide guitar I like the yeah the
1: guitar was the interesting bit
0: I think it's a decent song that was actually that was his last single as as a solo artist before his death in 2001 and I like Cheer Down I think it's I think it's a perfectly fine serviceable late 80s pop song we're going to go now to the All Things Must Pass album for the final time. For a track that wasn't written when he was a Beatle. He wrote this, it was one of the few tracks I think on All Things Must Pass that was specifically written as the project was was starting to happen. And it's called The Ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp, Let It Roll. Interesting, but not all that engaging. Any thoughts about the production on that? It was a bit strange, but not. Sounded like it was recorded in a cave. This is one of, in my opinion. I wouldn't agree with that. And on, on, it's there's so much reverb on the track that it means that, for example, the vocals get almost buried in the mix. It's, I quite,
1: it's quite It's one
0: of Phil Spector's crimes against music that recording. The the I could tell The remaster from two years ago is the song shines so much more. It's absolutely killed by its production, but it's a brilliant song. I can t-
1: I can tell there's a large amount of echo, but I wouldn't say that
0: it sounds like it's in a cave or that it obscures the vocals. I, I was listening to that song. I know that song. I was listening. I can hardly hear his words properly. Awful, awful production. I mean, Phil Spector, not only do I think that's a crime against music, Phil Spector is an, was an actual, literal criminal. He went to prison for murder. Okay. So, whilst he may have written the occasional great song like To Do Wrong Wrong, as a producer, style-wise... Even more distinctive than someone like Jeff Lynne. At least Jeff Lynne doesn't ruin songs the way that I think Phil Spector did. Not least the Long and Winding Road on the Let It Be album. Criminal. Crimes Against Music. The next track is, was a hit single. It was a standalone single and something of a lost track, really. Because I don't think it's ever appeared on any George Harrison album or compilation. It's called Bangladesh. So oh. So, why do, you, why do you think it was interesting? And I'll tell you why it actually is interesting. Because
1: it went for like a kind of a very different style. It went for like. I can't like put a you know, finger on what country it's from, but it doesn't sound like. like well, I would say some English of the. English
0: or American style. There's some Indian style in that.
1: Yeah. There which is something
0: guess. related to the fact it's Bangladesh. What do you think the song's about? I. Wasn't really listening to the lyrics. Well, there we go. The very first lyric is A "Friend called me up and told me that his country was dying." It's about the country Bangladesh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: about the catastrophic humanitarian crisis that was going on there, and it is. And I and I, I say this with qualification. I believe it is the first ever charity single. Every single penny of that record was supposed to go to the Bangladesh Relief Fund. And straight after it, George Harrison hosted two concerts, which are known as the Concerts for Bangladesh, and were effectively the first charity concerts. George Harrison invented the charity concert that led to things like Live Aid and Live 8, and the Concert for the memorial of Freddie Mercury, these charity concerts, he did it first. Mm. And that's, this is why I put Bangladesh on. It's a really important song in musical history. Without Bangladesh, there'd be no, Do They Know It's Christmas. Hard to find. It is available on the 2014 reissue of Living in the Material World and it was originally put on the 1975 Best of George Harrison record. But, It's never made it onto any other of his compilations, despite the fact that it was an actual hit single. He didn't have a huge number of major hits in the UK. Onto a track that was one of his major hits, number 13 in the UK, number two in the US. It's from the album Somewhere in England, which came out in 1981. And I've got some things to say about this track. It's called All Those Years Ago.
2: About how to give, they don't act with much honesty.
0: All right. right. Okay. This got to number two in the US. Major hit single. What do you think it's about?
1: Making a deal with the devil? Nope. <laughs> okay.
0: Definitely not. This came out in 1981. Early 1981. Any clues to what it's about yet? No. There was a line about, you showed us the way when you said all you need is love. Any more clues?
1: No. Do
0: you know what happened in 1980? Specifically December the 8th, 1980. We've talked about it on this podcast a couple of times. No. The murder of John Lennon.
1: Ah. Uh, yeah.
0: This is a tribute song to John Lennon. It's important in Beatle history because on that recording was also backing vocals from Paul and Linda McCartney and their bandmate from Wings, Denny Lane. And on the drums, Ringo Starr. And the song was originally going to be given to Ringo Starr for his new album, but Harrison, after the murder of Lennon, took it back, reworked the lyrics and wrote all those years ago as a tribute to Lennon. Part of the reason why it was a number two smash hit in America and number 13 in the UK is because it's a tribute to Lennon. Yeah. Important song. It was the first time Harrison and McCartney had been in the studio together since they recorded "I Me Mine" in January 1970.
1: So similar to how um, "See You Again" by Wiz Khalifa would, uh, it, like, because that's a tribute to to uh, one of the Fast and Furious cast who died. Oh, you said yes.
0: It's a tribute to Paul and Walker.
1: It's the third most viewed song on. Uh, most viewed YouTube uh, song on YouTube and about the 60th most listened song on Spotify. Okay, so, well. And while I think it's a very good song, I do not think it would have <laughs> ever got that big if it wasn't for his death.
0: Yeah, you're quite possibly right. I see where your link comes in. We've got another few tracks to go. Our final pick from his posthumous album, Brainwashed. This is a cracking song and I'll be a bit cross if you don't like it. It's called P2 Vatican Blues Last Saturday Night.
2: Oh, would somebody would tell me that it's only a show And I'll confess, oh not let's face it, in my concrete tuxedo It's quite suspicious, to say the least while I'm mentioning it to my priest. One of the three Hail Marys. It's Saturday
0: night. P2 Vatican Blues last Saturday night from Brainwashed. What do you think? I like the guitar. Oh, it's great guitar on it. Yeah. Do you like the song? It was alright. I think it's got fun lyrics. One Our Father, Three Hail Marys each Saturday night. He was a lapsed Catholic. Well, very lapsed Catholic because he became a Hare Krishna. But he was brought up as a Catholic. And so it's probably a final dig to the whole kind of Catholic religion. Last pick now from Cloud Nine. This is a song that is very much about Harrison coming to terms with his past as a Beatle. And it's called, appropriately enough, when we was fab.
2: Back then, long time ago, when
0: What do you mean? It's a bit weird. Just um, some like weird bits, like the. They were beatalisms, little bits of beatles style strings mm. and the occasional bits of horn. What's well, the horns on it. it? It was, I could say, him coming to terms with past as a beetle. Ringo Starr plays, it in fact, Ringo Starr plays on quite a few of the songs that are yeah, on compilation. He was playing a beat,
1: wasn't he?
0: Yeah. So, and. It's a really, really fine song, When We Was Fab. It's got a great video, really good video. And there's there's a big debate about whether or not McCartney makes a sneaky cameo in it. I don't think he does, because he and McCartney were not getting on when this was recorded and filmed in 87, 88. There was still a bit of needle about the business elements going on with the Beatles at the time. It wasn't until the mid-90s where they actually did the anthology where they kind of able to start talking and get on again but there's a there's a walrus i am on. the walrus and there's a walrus suit that comes across the screen and some people wonder whether or not it's actually mccartney in it but i don't think it is but it represents him last track then i mentioned the traveling wilburys this is the track that was the inception for the whole of the super group it was what was going to be the b-side it's oh it's just brilliant it's handle with care
2: Reputations changeable Situations terrible somebody to lean on put your body next to mine and
1: dream on. well that song really really reminded me of something what abba
0: okay i can actually hear that i can see what you mean I I can. I don't think that's a completely mad thing to say. Yes, Abba there's... had broken up nineteen eighty two. Six years before this was recorded, wouldn't surprise me if there was an Abba influence on it. Yeah, I I, I can kind of see where you're coming from that, but this was meant to have been a B side. It was meant to be mm. a B side, I think, too, when we was Fab. And. The record company liked it so much, thought it was that commercial. Like they said, go away and do a full album as the Travelling Wilburys, and they did, and they had a massive smash. This was a successful single in America. I think I owned a copy of Handle With Care on a single that I picked up cheap from Mere Green Records and Tapes back in the day, which is my introduction to the Travelling Wilburys. Can't help, though, that every time I listen to the album, I hear the sadness that is the death of Roy Orbison, who was just having a career renaissance at that point as well. But Handle With Care, superb stuff. That concludes the George Harrison episode right. of the... I did think when we did our episode two back with Eric Clapton, where we did Run So Far, my recollection is that I had included Run So Far on the George Harrison one as well. His version of it from Brainwashed, which I think is the slightly better version of the, the song. But he didn't. There's a couple of other notable omissions from this that I already mentioned. I didn't include My Sweet Lord. I've never been fond of it. But there's one I didn't include, which you... I think you'd taken against because it's one you knew before and it's his cover version of Got My Mind Set On You. When we used to go running to it, you decided you didn't like the song. It was... I got my mind set on you. I don't hate that song. I got my mind set on you. Who was it by originally? Guy called Randy Clark, I think. I thought there was a female singer. No. The best-known version of it is George Harrison's cover of it from Cloud9, which got to number two in the UK and number one in the US and remains the last time that an ex-Beatle had a number one single under their own name in either side of the Atlantic. So, that concludes. I've enjoyed it. I think... I really like the music of George Harrison. I find it... That's just because you're a Beatles fan. It's not just because I'm a Beatles fan, because actually I think some of the worst tracks from the Beatles' time are ones that he wrote, personally. There's several that I can't stand that he wrote. But I think his solo career is is interesting in a way that... I don't think Lennon's is as interesting, and certainly it's more interesting than Ringo's, I'm a McCartney fan, so I'll always pick McCartney over Harrison, but it's a hard wrench when I think about what my favourite solo Beatle album is, whether it's All Things Must Pass or Band on the Run. It's a real wrench sometimes. Sometimes I think it's actually the George Harrison one. But we've completed, so we know what it's time for. It is... Joll's Revenge. And what do you have for me today?
1: Today I have, like, a fairly modern pop song that uh, is... Produced in Sweden, which none of these songs are. Max Martin produced. No, it's not Max no. Martin produced. Um, and it was it was pretty big in I think both America and the UK, and it is Lush Life by Zara
2: Larsson. <laughs>
0: So,
1: what
0: do you think? Not a favourite. Certainly not the best thing I've heard by a Swedish musician. <laughs> Who do you think I do think would be the best things I've heard by a Swedish musician? I do know. Well, almost anything by ABBA, for a start. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe Lorene and Euphoria, I'd probably prefer to that as well.
1: Yeah.
0: It was okay. I can see why it was a summer hit. I did have some. It's a, I, it's a proper vibe that one. And if you don't get the
1: vibe, then you don't like it. Like Dad, Dad doesn't Dad doesn't have a vibe anymore. He's too old.
0: I do have a vibe. It's just not the same as yours. I recognised her voice, or more to the point, I thought her voice was aping somebody else, and it was. I didn't know who it was. It was bugging me, and then I found out what in the UK at least has actually been her biggest hit, mm-hmm. and she sang the vocals on symphony by clean bandit
1: yeah okay
0: and as soon as i read that i went oh that's who i thought she was copying it she's copying herself and Yeah. this
1: was this was symphony this wasn't came out particularly before bit, yeah this came out before and symphony wasn't a particularly big song in america i know that.
0: But it was a massive hit over here. It was. It well, was it the, was the BBC the theme, theme at one point. She she's the singer on Symphony by yeah. Kane Bandit. I don't wanna be your
1: symphony.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So that concludes the latest episode of Generation Mix Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to head over to YouTube, you'll find my channel as Pockenrop. I am posting weekly on music stuff. Thank you to every one of you who listens and downloads us regularly. Please tell other people about the podcast. It's the best thing you can do for it. We don't get paid for this. We don't get any money or sponsorship. If you want to give us money or sponsorship, we will happily accept it. We'll listen out for our musical clue for the next episode. It's one that I know Joel has not listened to the CD very much. But I'm looking forward to it. We'll be back whenever we get round to recording it and releasing it. I'm not even prepared to say it's going to be two weeks or four weeks or whatever, because who knows, Joel. But until yeah. then, this is Generation Mix signing off. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye.